Good morning, honeys. We are coming to you live from Loudoun, Tennessee, aka the home of my parents, because I was fortunate enough to get to go home for Thanksgiving and spend time with family. I will have the dog coming in and out because Bailey is a princess and she does what she wants. She goes where she wants. So I apologize in advance for the ambiance of that, but uh, let's get started and hopefully we'll be able to drown out the dog noise. Sources for today include Dr. Doris Maria Reyna Bravo's Can Academy lesson, Diego Rivera, Man at the Crossroads, Allison Keyes' Destroyed by Rockefeller's Mural Trespassed on Political Vision article posted by NPR, Michael Pierce's The Real Reason Why Rivera's Epic Rockefeller Mural Was Destroyed from Mutual Art, Ruxi Rusu's Diego Rivera, The Controversial Story of Man at the Crossroads from Daily Art Magazine, and Shira Wolf's Stories of Iconic Artworks, Diego Rivera's Rockefeller Mural from Artland Magazine. As I said, today we will be talking about Man at the Crossroads by Diego Rivera, completed in 1934. It existed at the Rockefeller Center in New York City for exactly one year because the opposing political stances on communism versus capitalism with the mural's creator, Rivera, on the side of communism and Rockefeller, of course, on capitalism's side, as it had been quite literally very profitable to him and his family in years past, resulted in this mural being destroyed after the artist refused to edit it because of its positively toned inclusion of Vladimir Lenin, amongst other um, controversial elements. This story is famous and it's grounded in one question that we might come back to over the course of this podcast more than once. And that question is about the censorship of controversial content in public art, in this case, a figurehead. It seems simple enough, but consider the nuances of this sort of thing. Who determines the censorship? What criteria do they use and why? How do moral and or ethical concerns affect this sort of censorship? Like the morality of Lenin's inclusion in light of his humanitarian crimes. All of these questions come up in this story and it's much more detailed and nuanced than it might appear on the surface. So let's get into it. Let's introduce our main story cast here, if you will. First and foremost, the artist himself, Diego Rivera. Born in 1886, he's a well-known Mexican artist, already prolific by this point, and his projects were praised in Detroit and San Francisco, and beyond outside of his MoMA retrospective success in a 1931 exhibit. These days, he's known as the spouse of Frida Kahlo, Frida Kahlo's husband. Yay for feminism win on that inversion. And he's also known for his controversial inclusion of his communist politics across his works. According to Khan Economy, quote, Though Rivera enjoyed tremendous success, he also faced harsh controversy. 
both for his political beliefs and artistic practice, though he considered his murals at the Detroit Institute of Works, completed 1932 through 33, among his greatest works, his work there faced opposition due to the depiction of men of different races working together, end quote. So he died in the 1950s, 57 to be exact, and he was living at a time where he wanted, he sort of had to paint the future he wanted to see, and that future was much more equitable than was socially normal at that time. He was way ahead in terms of wanting to see a much more level future ground for all people to work from. Next, we have the guy who commissioned the mural, John D. Rockefeller Jr., son of the industrial tycoon who founded the business. This son took over once the father passed. As the historical figure at the center of this controversy, the one represented in the art, we'll also do a quick historical review of Lenin himself. He lived from April 1870 to January 1924 and was a Russian revolutionary, politician, and political theorist. He was the first slash founding head of the Soviet Union, um, the transformation from Russia into the Soviet Union, from 1927 until, I believe, 1934. I believe I wrote the wrong number down here. He was a noted Marxist who infamously led the Bolshevik side of the October Revolution, which followed the February Revolution, wherein the Tsar was ousted, thus overtaking the provisional government at the time. He is also very famous for forcibly reincorporating five states freed by those Tsars back into the Union. Wikipedia describes him as, quote, a controversial and highly divisive historical figure, end quote. They state that Lenin is viewed by his supporters as a champion of the working class of socialism, but his critics accuse him of, quote, establishing a totalitarian dictatorship which oversaw mass killings and political repression, end quote. Okay, now that we know who the people are, Let's talk about what they did. The construction and destruction of the mural. It was commissioned in 1932, completed in 1933 on the RCA building in the Rockefeller complex, and ultimately chiseled off the wall in 1934. Now, despite Rockefeller's awareness of Rivera's leftist politics, the two decided to proceed with the collaboration in 1932, and it quickly went south. Rivera seemed to be on board with all of Rockefeller's ideas, but his final product was very far away from what Rockefeller actually had in mind. The reason these two came together lies outside of their politics. As Keyes includes in a quote from the Mexican Cultural Institute curator Susana Pelegro, the Rockefellers tried to have pieces of the best artists at the time because of their desire to have pieces of both high commercial and high artistic value. So the Rockefellers were really interested in leaving a, a well-rounded legacy, not only one 
wherein their name would be synonymous with oil money for the rest of time, but also one that benefited the public via the funding of arts and other public goods. So Rivera and Rockefeller decide to go ahead with their collaboration anyway under the theme of New Frontiers. Very 50s, very space age kind of kind of title there. They signed a three, each side that is, signed a three-page contract which included the basics of the desired image. As Keyes quotes, a man at the crossroads, looking with uncertainty but with hope and high vision to the choosing of a course leading to a new and better future, end quote. Yeah, very, very idealistic. The details that were settled upon were three men clasping hands in the middle, a soldier, a worker, and a peasant, to represent the spiritual union of Rivera's three elements of mankind, humanity. Interestingly enough, though, Rivera would later face his own crossroads when told he must either change the work and sort of sell out, compromise, or else he would see it destroyed. He was accused of at least selling out if that was the route that he had chosen to take, but we know, obviously, he went instead with seeing it destroyed rather than compromise his own values. Either way, the mural was open-ended and the spiritual theme left room for a huge difference in the interpretations between Rockefeller's expectations and the reality that Rivera delivered. Now, of course, there are some other, you know, minutiae that I am choosing to leave out for the sake of telling an entertaining story here, But there are a couple of details that we need to look at a little closer in order to understand what was at stake, both for Rockefeller and for Rivera, in order to understand the choices that both sides made across this entire incident. The contemporary art scene, that is Rivera's contemporary art scene of the 1930s, was a very critical very anti-establishment sort of attitude uh, that was present not only in the works, but also in the people. So the second that these uh, New York City leftists found out that Rivera had accepted this commission, he was made fun of, took flack throughout his entire home home base of New York City. His fellow communists, and even communists he didn't know firsthand, called him a sellout and or a fake from the second he accepted that commission. So, of course, then, he had something to prove, and he decided to play into the expectations that he would over-politicize his work in in a negative sense, that he would, you know emphasize socialism, support socialism too much as sort of a middle finger right back at the same sorts of, you know, news outlets and um, communist social artistic groups that were talking such crap about him. The World Telegram newspaper, in fact, ended up running the headline, quote, Rivera paints scenes of communist activity 
and John D. Jr. foots the bill, end quote. To give you a sense of, you know, what I mean when I say that people expected this negative over politicization. (laughs) Rivera then decided, you know, with all of this heat that's coming at him, well, why not? And he adds the portrait of the communist revolutionary Vladimir Lenin to the mural in order to meet and mock these sorts of expectations. I will say that the Lenin inclusion was kind of over-aggrandized. It was one of hundreds of portraits in the mural that could have caused potential controversy and or discomfort. There were other symbols, such as swastika inclusions, beheaded workers below Trotsky, Marx, and other figures, and other such imagery that, I mean, I personally would expect would cause some uproar long before this particular portrait. That being said, however, you gotta look at the politics of the era. There was an extremely hard no especially in American society, on communism in the rise of Nazi fascism, in the rise of the Soviet Union, in light of all of the uh, drama of World War I. There just was a very strong anti-anything that wasn't democratic capitalism And so the advocating so publicly in such a well-known architectural block as the Rockefeller Center would have been, of course, a huge point of controversy just for the fact of, of what it was and how public it was. Now, I personally have never overseen the production of a mural, but I would imagine whoever is the patron would want to come by every once in a while, you know, check things out, make sure that the progress is going according to plan. Uh, Apparently, the Rockefellers did not do any of that. The Rockefeller family was very unhappy with the final version, um, especially a piece that was allegedly a bad representation of Rockefeller Sr., as David Rockefeller Sr. stated in that Keyes article, quote, the picture of Lenin was on the right-hand side and on the left a picture of my father drinking martinis with a harlot and various other things that were unflattering to the family and clearly inappropriate to have as the center of the Rockefeller Center, end quote. So I personally did not pick up on this Rockefeller Senior reference when I was looking at this mural, but um, I could see why that would be offensive. <laughs> this is actually where we can look to historical precedent, funnily enough, for uh, precedent for the Rockefellers' behavior, because the court painters of nobles and kings and queens back in the day used to try to make their subjects look a little bit nicer as the ones who were paying for the work and or the ones who could potentially decide if if that painter needed to be executed. So with that in mind, of course it makes sense that the Rockefellers would want Rivera to 
paint them in a nice light since they're, you know, funding the whole shebang. As we know, the Rockefellers then give Rivera an ultimatum. Either he changes it or it gets destroyed. Now, I have to clarify why exactly it would be destroyed. The work was fresco, meaning that it was painted directly onto wet plaster instead of onto a secondary surface between the architecture of the wall and, you know, the the paint itself, such as a canvas, a wood plank, anything else. So the mural actually could not be moved or removed without its destruction simply because of the way that it had been technically produced. What's really frustrating from an art historical point of view as somebody who kind of mourns in a sense for all the arts that have been lost to various stupidly minded destructions over the years is uh, is that this was a completely unavoidable destruction of a work. It was in fact a technical mistake that resulted in the work being immovable and irreplaceable instead of um, instead of movable as it was originally intended. So according to that mutual art article by Pierce, Rivera's principal assistant Clifford White argues for a technical construction mistake as the basis for its destruction. He says, quote, there, the crucial metal framework, specifically designed to leave space between the original wall so the mural could be removed if required, was omitted. In White's correspondence with Mr. A.W. I wrote but, but that has to be butte, at the Rockefeller Center, he had clearly described the method that Rivera expected to be used for his mural in New York. But the specifications given to him, it's unclear if him here means White or Rivera, by the architects at the Rockefeller Center only allowed for a depth of three quarters of an inch for all five layers of plaster, meaning that the first layer had to be applied directly onto the wall of the building without any space between them, end quote. So a simple miscommunication A technical oversight resulted in the death of this work when it so so easily could have been made savable. But alas, isn't that always how the treasures of history are lost? However, I was not able to find any other sources that confirm this story. So I'm unsure if it's 100% true or if somebody somewhere is maybe trying to cover their ass either way though it is a an explanation that makes sense and adds a sort of extra layer of tragedy to this already devastating story rivera takes a little bit of time He ultimately claims he would rather see it destroyed than, quote-unquote, mutilated with any changes. 
And I do have to say, I have a lot of respect for Rivera being so stubborn, being such a stalwart. Yeah, his ideals may have been a little controversial. Yes, communism is not perfect. Neither is capitalism, though. And it's very interesting to think about that. You know, if you were in his shoes, what would you, what would you do? Would you take the money and compromise yourself? Or would you, would you be able to bear witnessing the destruction of your work? How much is it worth to you to see the physical preservation of the thing you made versus go down in history as being so uncompromising that your thing was destroyed but everyone remembers your morals? Kind of a tough decision. I'm, I'm really respectful of uh, Rivera for making one at all, but especially for making what I think is kind of the tougher choice and deciding that a work is too important to be changed and thus kind of having to swallow the harsh reality of it being destroyed. Of course, the ending to this tragic tale is that the artist is fired and the work is chiseled off. Uh, Most of the quotes that I'm about to read are from Shira Wolf over at Artland, but they give a good synopsis of, of how everything plays out to the end. So, quote, The building managers paid Rivera his full fee of $21,000 and he was banned from the site. The mural was then hidden beneath the drape and the night before Rivera would have completed it on the 10th of February, 1934, the mural was chiseled off the wall. Rivera's mural was replaced by a larger mural by Catalan artist Jose Maria Cert titled American Progress. This mural can still be seen in the Rockefeller Center to this day, end quote. So Rivera understanding, you know, when he makes this decision and announces it to the Rockefellers that he likely would be taken up on this destruction uh, decision, had told his assistant, Lucienne Block, to take documentary photographs of the mural. These black and white photos are the only images that remain of the original work to this day. And in fact, Rivera later used these photographs to repaint a variation of the composition in Mexico later that same year. So that later surviving version is at the Museo del Palacio de Bellas Artes in Mexico City. And that one is titled, Man, Controller of the Universe, also completed in 1934. Okay, so let's decompress with our major takeaways, our final thoughts. First of all, Keyes cites Rivera expert Linda Dow's saying, quote, he had this vision of the importance of technology in the future and the hope that there would be a coming together of workers and industrialists and businessmen to further mankind in general. It was a very hopeful mural, end quote. So it really is a shame that the mural was destroyed because in, le- in spite of the small controversies, the potentially unflattering image of Rockefeller, the controversial inclusion of 
certain thematic contents and certain Russian socialist figureheads, or so that, slash any socialist figureheads for that matter, it's, uh, it's clear that this was a mural that was really intended to bring people together, which is why the irony of how divisive it ended up being between the Rockefellers and Rivera is really quite sad, in a sense. That being said, the case does provide a very compelling example of how art censorship has always been a question and how the politics of the early 20th century really did affect the arts in almost every possible sense. Of course, there were certain... um, federal programs that funded arts programs across the U.S. during the Great Depression. However, this is a little different in the sense that it brings into question private art ownership and the the question of what happens when private politics play out in a public space through art. So, of course... The main question uh, at play in this case is how censorship issues have or have not changed across time. This one is really a a two-part question, I think. And the first part is the artist's right to their own opinion, their own self-expression. How do we determine how much is quote-unquote too much? How do we determine what content is okay and what is not? How do we determine whether the politics or morals that a work advocates for or perhaps criticizes, how do we know that those are acceptable criticisms or supports? How do we determine how much of those types of things is appropriate in art? How do we deal with money in the arts and with the uh, ethics of patronage? How do we determine what happens when an artist gets a commission and they want to go somewhere with it that the commissioner is uncomfortable with? These are still very common questions to this day. And in fact... This whole instance started something of a a revolution in terms of getting people to actually think about an artist's right to their own opinion and self-expression. Of course, artists had been including such things in their works for a long time, but it was never but that personal expression had never been so applied to politics as after the turn of the 20th century. Many people at the time actually sided with Rivera. Rushu writes for Daily Art Magazine that, quote, a series of protests and demonstrations from artists across the country started soon after. E.B. White, 1899 through 1985, wrote the protest poem, I Paint What I See, as a dialogue between Rivera and Nelson Rockefeller to show his support for the artist's cause, end quote. But of course, then we have to sort of flip the question and think about the other perspective. 
the rights of the owner of an artwork to do certain things with it, whether that be hang it or store it or change it or destroy it. This one is, I think, very dependent on your point of view. In some sense, yes, when you purchase an artwork, you have purchased the right to steward it, I guess you could say, as you see fit. But at the same time, that is very much a piece of an artist's legacy. And so to change or destroy it, especially without any sort of consultation with them or green light from them, definitely appropriates that legacy in a potentially harmful way in that it changes what the legacy was intended to be into something new. And I'm not, you know, going to say that every artist should only ever be looked at exactly how they want to be because there are some very obvious cases where that should not be true, Gauguin. However, there is a certain... There is a certain case to be made if you have paid to own an artwork you have paid for the rights of that ownership. So it's a tough one. Rivera himself st stated, quote, in destroying my paintings, the Rockefellers have committed an act of cultural vandalism, end quote. And I don't necessarily disagree. However, within the context of the situation, it is understandable that they made the decisions that they did and they cannot be faulted for deciding to destroy a work that, once commissioned, did not meet their expectation for their money's worth. At least that's what the practical, like, money person in me wants to say. The person in me who loves art is just mad. You don't have the right to destroy it, I don't think. Shame. Shame upon you. But this was, you know, not 90. Jesus. 90 years ago. So I guess my opinion is kind of moot. All right, honeys. We can go ahead and leave the discussion questions there for today. Feel free to take a deep breath in and out. We are done. I am not loading any new information onto you. That is the story of Rivera's Man at the Crossroads. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you got to thinking a little bit about political controversy in multiple senses in the art world and got to thinking a little bit about censorship as well from both sides of the argument, from that of the artist and that of the art buyer slash commissioner. I hope you will be joining me again next week as we take a look at Edward Curtis's photography. Even if you don't know that name, you definitely have seen one of his pictures. And we will be diving into why they're a little more problematic than 
they seem, iconic as they are. Take care of yourselves, honeys, and have a great week. We will chat next Sunday. This podcast was created, produced, written, hosted, edited, and fact-checked by master's graduate Celia Bugnow. Our upcoming music will be courtesy of Kelsey Weber. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on all of your favorite streaming platforms as well as your social medias.